Hello and welcome to the Raw Podcast brought to you by the Sunderland Echo. My name is James Copley and I'm joined today by my colleagues Phil Smith and Joel Nicholson. We're going to be talking about all the latest news surrounding Sunderland AFC. We will get on to transfers a little bit later in the show. But firstly, we're going to have a bit of a dive into Sunderland's 1-1 draw with Coventry City at the Stadium of Light last week. And Sunderland returning to the Championship for the first time in a long, long while Phil, it was um, it was a very good game. The quality was uh, the quality difference between the Championship and League One was stark, and uh, you were knackered by half time, weren't you? I think everybody was. I think we used to, you know, a lot of a lot of time being taken out of the game, especially at the Stadium of Light. You know, it tends to, you know, we had four years where, apart from the other exception, you know, you, you, you the game settled into a pattern pretty early on where you had ten players behind the ball. It was up to someone to try and break them down. Um, you know, there would be the opposition would generally be very reliant on set pieces. Um, so I think it was a bit of a it was a bit of a draining game on Sunday because when someone lost the ball, Coventry, you know, broke in numbers. Um, they came very much with the intent to win. And I think in both halves you saw that I thought the intensity caught up with Sunderland. I actually thought they did well. Um I thought that for the sort of opening 20, 25 minutes, half an hour of both halves, I thought they were probably just about the better side, certainly created the better chances. Um, but I thought in both halves, maybe the intensity caught up with them. And I think you could see a bit of mental and physical fatigue in, in some of the passes that were going astray, some some dubious decisions that were being made on the ball. Um, and I think ultimately Coventry were worthy of the point, weren't they? Um, but I thought there was a lot of good signs and a lot of players who stepped up and, you know, for the most part, looked comfortable. Yeah, I concur with that. I really enjoyed the game. thought Sunderland were, were excellent out of the blocks and then... Coventry understandably came into it. There was a few hairy moments, Joe. Obviously, there was a, a shot from range that Patterson tipped onto the bar. Alex Pritchard made a, a crucial intervention in the second half. Uh, likewise, Danny Barr in the first half, actually, when Sunderland gave the ball away in the middle, as Phil alluded to. So there was lots of positives, but a few negatives as, as well. But, um, you know, overall, the quality of the game was was very decent. Yeah, I think one thing, it, it showed kind of the step up in quality, didn't it, from um, League One to the to the Championship. Um, the game was played at a much kind of higher tempo, and although there were some positive signs, some of them were dropping off more and more in the second half. And you felt that Coventry were going to get that goal. Um, it took a great strike to, for them to get it, by the way, um, from from Gokarez. Uh, but as you said, there wasn't too many saves for Patterson to make. Um, the one that he tipped onto the bar in the first half. Um, and I think that's one thing that's that's positive under Alex Neal. Sunderland are very difficult to beat. They lost one in eighteen, didn't they, last season under? Neil, that's now one in 19 with um, with Sundown's game. So that kind of gives me confidence that they are going to be able to compete at this level. Um, they are going to be tough to beat. Um, and we saw that again, kind of them reducing Coventry to not too many chances. Took a, a, a great strike for Coventry to get the goal. Um, but yeah, positives and negatives. Um, but it was it showed again that Sunderland can be competitive against a, a side that finished 12th in the Championship last season. Established Championship team, who I think will have another good season this season. Probably expect Coventry finishing the top half. In terms of selection, Phil, obviously Lyndon Gooch started as a right wing back. That caused a little bit of a stir pre-match among Sullen fans with Trey Hume being a name that was mentioned. Obviously, he did quite well against Hartlepool. Probably says more of a, a right back than a right wing back. And obviously, Alex Neal's decision to go with Lyndon Gooch was justified because he got his assist for, for Jack Clark's goal in the opening sort of 15 minutes. Yeah, I think it made a lot more sense, isn't it, when you saw how Sunderland actually set up in the game. You know, when you saw that they were playing wing-backs and there was going to be a lot of onus on, on Gooch and Clark to get forward. And I think, to be fair, 
I, I agree that Hume had an excellent pre-season. I think he's pushed himself very much up the pecking order. But, you know, when we talked about that long unbeaten run at the end of last season, you know, Lyndon Gooch was a really important part of that. He had a really good game at Wembley. Um, so I think he'd done more than enough to justify being given that opportunity, especially in what Alex Neil would have known was going to be a quite feverish atmosphere, um, a lot of pressure. Um, and I thought he showed his, his, his quality. It was an excellent assist, an excellent dummy. Um, I definitely think we're going to see a lot more of Trey in this season. I, I don't doubt that, but I think Gooch was more than deserving of his, his place in the side on the basis of what he, he did last season in that position and, and very clearly justified Alex Neil's faith. And Joe, one debutant for Sunderland as well, Daniel Ballard uh, coming in to the, to the three-man centre-back uh, partnership for Alex Neil. I was really impressed, to be honest. He looked strong on the ball. He looked strong off the ball. He wasn't afraid of a physical battle. Um, we mentioned it after the game on, on the Raw podcast that he adjusted his game accordingly when the referee sort of gave him a, a couple of warnings. And, you know, you can tell that he is a player with championship experience. Yeah, I thought he did well, Ballard. Um, spoke to him after the game as well, and he said it was he was kind of amazed at kind of the atmosphere. wasn't expecting that really. Um, he said he's played in front of big crowds, but usually it's the the opposition crowd that are kind of um, out in force. And uh, yeah, he was he's quite taken aback by that, I think. But I thought he adapted really well. He went up against uh, Gokarez a couple of times, had a couple of tussles with him. Um, maybe a few he was maybe fortunate to get away with, but he, as you said, he adjusted his game um, pretty well, and I thought he looked pretty um, as you said composed on the ball. Um, pretty strong and competed very well. And it'll be interesting to see kind of where he fits into that back line now. Alex Neil obviously went with the back three with with Danny Bart and Dennis Serkin tucked inside. Uh, the majority of championship teams actually play with a back three. I saw a stat on, on social media saying that um, it was 14 out of the 24 championship teams played with the back three at the weekend. That was even more last season um, with more teams kind of going with the wing-back system. So, And we saw in pre-season that Neil probably prefers to go with a, a four two three one, uh, went with the back three against Coventry to match them up. So it'll be interesting to see how he moves going forward. Starting with this weekend's game against uh, against Bristol City, they also play with the back three. So um, it'll be interesting to see how Ballard fits in. But I think at the minute he's probably the first choice centre back. You had Danny Bart obviously alongside him. Uh, you've got Bailey Wright who come back in. You've got Edge Edge Adje, um, Alise as well. So a few options there, but yeah, definitely um, encouraging signs for Ballard. I thought the game was interesting, Phil, and, well, definitely underlined how good a manager Alex Neil actually is. Because if you look at the start 11, you've got Patterson, Ballard, who came in in the summer, Bart Sergan, Lyndon Gooch, Evans, Dan Neil, Clark, Embleton, Pritchard, Ross Stewart. So 10 of those 11 that started were here uh, during last season in League One. You've seen now the value of Alex Neil. Obviously, we knew of his value anyway in terms of Sunderland's playoff run and Wembley win. But now he's had a full pre-season, you know, it wasn't a perfect Sunderland performance by any means, and there's plenty to work on. But it just for me, underlines how canny he is at this level. Well, I think it underlined the importance of the experienced players as well. I thought that Alex Pritchard was probably, for me, Sunderland's player of the match, certainly through the first half. He was someone who kind of already knew what, what it was going to be like and was prepared for it, and I thought he had a really strong performance. And I think, by and large, I think you've got... A, give credit to the to the young players as well who I all felt in phases did pretty well I thought Dennis Serkin was really solid I don't really remember him having too many issues later in the game I thought when Coventry made their subs down that right flank they caused a lot of problems but I thought him and Clark did well um, and Dan Neil and Embleton both had spells in the game where I thought they looked a real threat obviously Neil you know there were a couple of errors there as well but 
Yeah, I think there was a lot of take. We know we know Neil's going to make them difficult to beat. We know the setup's going to be good. I thought matching up Coventry's back three worked really well. Um, so I think there's a lot of positives there. But I think, it, it, particularly Pritchard, I think it underlined the importance of someone who knows what the level's all about, has already proven in the past that he can thrive at it and looks to be in a really good place. I, I thought he was excellent. and I had a feeling he was going to be an important player before the game and that just underlined it, really. Yeah, definitely. I was impressed by Pritchard. He got Sky's man of the match. Joe, for any Coventry fans listening to this, there might be, yeah, well, they might be a little bit upset, really, because we, we haven't mentioned Coventry too much. But Sunderland, you could argue, maybe a little bit fortunate in terms of um, Godden's chance and 09's challenge um, towards the end of the game. Maybe should have seen Red. It's debatable whether that would have affected the game, but certainly Godden's chance. That was a that was a bit of a sitter and a massive let off for Sunderland in the game. It was, yeah. And I think that was just a case of the decision making starting to get a little bit, a little bit tired. Um, Daniel kind of hesitated on the ball. I thought he had a good start to the game. Daniel for maybe the first kind of half an hour, um, but then kind of faded a little bit, um, especially in the second half. And I think that was that mistake was just a kind of reflection of the intensity and and kind of the mental kind of maybe baggage of of, of the game. But I think Coventry would have definitely been. If they'd have kind of gone away losing that game, they'd have definitely been massively disappointed with the the kind of possession that they had and, and the, the pressure they were putting on in the second half. And as I said before, I think I think Coventry are a good side. They finished twelfth in the championship last season, and from what we kind of read and heard, they probably were a little bit better than that as well. So um, we saw they got some really good players in in Gokarez, in uh, I thought Gus Hamer had a good game in, in the midfield, and uh, Callum O'Hare as well. Arguably their best player wasn't even playing um, with an injury, so. They've got some really good players and, and I think it was a real tough opposition for Sunderland to start against. And we, as we said before, we, we saw that kind of step up in quality going from League One to, to playing an established championship team. Ellis Sims was on the bench, Phil. He wasn't brought on by Alex Neil, but he, he justified that after the game in, in his, uh, his post-match press conference, didn't he? Yeah, well, I think Sims had been in the building for 48 hours, hadn't he? So it was always going to be a big ask for him. Um you know, he hasn't, although he's been training at Everton, I don't think he's he's had any pre-season minutes. So I think you've got to be really careful in terms of when you introduce him. And I also think, you know, Neil at that point was, he didn't want to take Stuart off because Stuart was still causing Coventry a lot of problems, which the, the Coventry City manager sort of said himself after the game that his defenders had found Stuart a real handful. So his only option really to get Sims on was to go to two up front, which I think he was tempted to do. Um, but ultimately, he felt that losing another player in midfield could really open something up. They were already struggling to contain them at that point. I thought Hamo, as you know, as Joe mentioned, by that point, after a quiet start, was really starting to be one of the more influential players on the pitch. So, understandably, I think, with a 1-0 lead, yeah, you could maybe argue that the time was there to put a bit of pressure back on Coventry. But I just think he he did take the conservative option. I think particularly when you consider fitness-wise where Sims is at, I think you can understand why he did that. After the goal, I thought Sunder a lot better. I thought Roberts started to get on the ball a bit more. And I thought it ended fairly evenly. Um, but yeah, it won't be long till we see Sims. And I expect him to play a lot with Stuart this season. Um, but I just think in that moment, it was, it was too big an ass for him. And just on that goal by Gokarez, Phil, I mean, that is a, a real moment of quality that you don't often see in League One. I mean, when he when he gets the ball, I sort of thought Sunderland are possibly in a little bit of trouble here um, because he had space. But it's just a, a really, really good finish. Yeah, he's a, he's a good player. He did a lot of transfer speculation around him. The summer could potentially go for, you know, for an eight-figure fee, um, and that just goes to show it's something that, you know, both the management and the players spoke a lot about in pre-season that you're going to get punished um, 
if you're not ruthless more so than you are in League One, where realistically you might be able to get away with missing a few big chances and still winning the game. If you do that at the Championship, you will get punished. Um, so I think that's a big takeaway. Because to be fair, we, we've rightly praised Coventry because I thought they were very good, but Sunderland did create a lot of good chances. You know, Clark had an effort, didn't need to maybe score a second. Elliot Embleton had a really good chance on the edge of the box. Also, a lot of moments where the final pass just wasn't quite right. Um, and I think that was a big lesson that, you know, you are going to get hurt by individual quality at this level, so you're going to take your chances. Um, but I certainly think, you know, one of the big positives was that, you know, I, other than the the Godden, obviously, was a, was a huge opportunity for Coventry. But otherwise, I thought for all, Coventry deserved a point. Um, I did think someone probably created the, the slightly better chances. Um, and that, and that's, that's really encouraging. Absolutely. We'll move on to um, the next item on our agenda, which is transfers. Everybody's favourite subject at the moment. The window still with about 27 days to run, I think. Uh, the main reports this morning are suggesting that Everton have offered Nathan Broadhead a new deal at Goodison Park. Um, the Athletic claim that uh, a permanent deal for Broadhead seems to be off the table, but they state that he could potentially go out on loan again. A lot of Sunderland fans saying uh, this doesn't really make sense. And I have to really think about it because I agreed with that summation. At the beginning, but Broadhead could possibly play in a World Cup. Everton might extend his contract and, you know, want to cash in on him, Phil. Similar to the, the reports surrounding Jack Clark before he did actually sign his sign his deal with Sunderland. It's a real interesting one. It doesn't really make sense from a Sunderland fan perspective or even really Nathan Broadhead's perspective. But from an Everton perspective, they're sort of trying to um, protect their investment here and potentially iron a, a fee a couple of summers down the line. Yeah, and it's not like Sunderland are the only show in town. There's a lot of championship clubs interested. So, you know, it's not as if, you know, Everton know that they have a potential asset there. Um, yeah, I take the point that he hasn't. He doesn't appear to be close to their first team plans, but it's someone who had a really good season in League One last time out and now has a lot of interest from championship clubs. So from an Everton perspective, you know, you'd be thinking about it, thinking if he was to go and have a good season in the championship, his value would be significantly increased from what it is now. So from that situation, you may then want to extend his contract, send him out on loan. Um, and if he has another good season, you could potentially make a lot more money than you would make by him doing a sale now. Um, we also haven't heard you know, from Everton in terms of their plans. It may well be that, that they don't think it's beyond the question that he'll play first-team football for them, although I do think that's very unlikely. Um, but you can understand why they want to protect that that kind of value and it's then it's up to ends up to Nathan Broadhead. Um, you know, he doesn't want, you wouldn't have thought, a long sort of contract wrangle because he wanted to get out and play. Um, so I think it's it's a really frustrating one because at the moment, I don't think it necessarily suits any party. Um, you've got a player who needs to be playing, you know, clubs who need him. Um, and, a, and a, you know, Everton, I don't think are particularly benefiting from this situation as it stands, but we'll, you know, we'll see how quickly that's resolved. But I can certainly see why it, why it suits Everton, given that they know and um, it's not just Sunderland. There are other championship clubs who are taking a sort of not just a short term but a long term interest in Broadhead. And as frustrating as this is from a Sunderland perspective, Joe, uh, we know the club operate in a way now in which they probably will have other irons in the fire. We saw the Sims deal come as quite a surprise to us, really. So I wouldn't put it past Sunderland to to have something cooking below the surface. Yeah, I'm sure there definitely are other targets, but uh, Alex Neil's made it pretty clear that he wants another forward doesn't need to kind of go alongside Sims and Stewart. And it's, it's a strange one with Broadhead. It just seems like kind of a perfect fit. He was there last season on loan. He seems to enjoy it. The club liked him. 
Um, Christian Speakman was saying in the summer that they wanted him back. And and his stats last season were, were you know, so impressive. I don't think a lot of people kind of realised just how, how good he'd been. Um, just got the stats up here. So he scored 13 goals in 27 appearances for Sunderland. And a lot of those appearances were kind of off the bench or when he'd just come back from injury. Um, so his kind of goal per minute ratio would have, would have been even better. And uh, um, when he was fit, he just looked like such a, a an asset at League One level anyway. He's kind of pacing behind. He's, um, the runs that he's made, he's, he's finishing. And I, I was surprised that Everton haven't even played him at all during pre-season. I thought they'd at least take a look at him, especially on the back of that uh, call-up for Wales as well. But, but quite clearly, he's still quite a long way off kind of the first team there um, and, and does need to move. And probably that would be to a championship club. So... Um, you would have thought Sunderland would be kind of at the, at the front of the queue of clubs trying to get him, but clearly there are some things to iron out in the deal, whether he signs a new contract at Everton, whether he goes then goes out on loan or it is a permanent signing and what the fee would be. Obviously, he's only got a year left on his contract, um, but clearly a very talented player, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of clubs uh, trying to sign him. The only question mark is obviously that injury record from last season um, that did keep him out for a long period of time, but... Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, I don't think he'd be at Everton by the end of the summer because he does need to go out and play first-team football. It's pure speculation, of course, but I do wonder, given that he was taken on the pre-season tour with Frank Lampard and Everton, whether he's picked up a little knock during pre-season training. That's perhaps what he why he hasn't played. Obviously, that's unconfirmed. But yeah, you could completely see a scenario in which he goes out on loan to a championship club after signing a new deal with Everton, does very well, could possibly go to, to the World Cup with Wales, you know, if he does something there, then suddenly his, his value is skyrocketed and Everton have got a, a real asset on their hands. In terms of incomings, Phil, well, and outgoings, really, what's sort of the transfer state of play with, with Sunderland at the moment as we enter the, the sort of mid to late final throws of the window? Yeah, well, I think Neil wanted once four or five, doesn't he? I think it's fairly obvious that, you know, I, I don't think just a striker, I think probably sort of wide forward or winger, I think as well, is something that I expect him probably to do. You know, Jack Diamond not being included in the match day squad on Sunday, um, I think it probably looks increasingly likely that, that he'll get a chance to, to go somewhere else and play regular football this season. You know, Leon Diaku wasn't quite fit enough to be in the squad on Sunday, but obviously he's someone who's not played at this level either. Um, so I just think when you put it in the perspective of being able to make five subs and the importance of having real kind of game-changing options, attacking options... I really do feel like Sunderland's bench was very light on Sunday in that sense. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if you wanted sort of another forward as well as, as a striker and um, someone who can probably operate in a few different positions. Um, and I think it's just about, a bit about more sort of covering competition. He's, he's sort of hinted in the last week or so that he probably still wants a third goalkeeper. Um, and I think you could definitely make an argue that the left side of the defence and also centre midfield um, at the moment, you look a little bit light when you consider that you know, Jamie Tete wasn't included in the squad on Sunday and also you know, Luke O'Nine and Dan Neil have very limited championship experience. Puts a lot of pressure on Corey Evans as that kind of holder midfielder. Um, we don't really have another natural option to play that role. So, yeah, I think it's, you know, I think he's pretty happy with the options he does have in terms of the players he's got through the building. But at the moment, I just think that option to rotate and to change things within games maybe isn't quite fully there yet. And certainly the final third, I think there's still some significant work to do. Regarding Diamond, Phil, do you think a potential permanent exit could be on the cards or would you predict a, a loan move? I know he signed a, a fairly long deal about a year ago. Is that off the top of your head, maybe two years to go on that deal? So it's sort of one of those where you know, he could go out and get League One experience or they could sell him you know, for a, for a fee. Well, there's, a, there's absolutely no pressure to sell him. Um, he, he's partway through a long-term contract. 
Um, and you know they still think he's a really talented player, so there's there's absolutely no pressure to sell. And if an offer was to come in, you know that met their valuation, then that would you know that would obviously change that. I would have my doubts at the moment as to whether you know anyone would be able to meet that in terms of the level that you would go and play at. So for me, I still think a, you know a chance to move to a League One club on loan, I think, would be ideal. Um, it gives Sunderland a chance to take a close look at him at a higher level. Um, and also a potential, like we've discussed with Broad, to potentially grow his value if he is going to move on in the future. Um, so I, I, for me, unless somebody was to come in with a brilliant offer, which I suppose might happen right now, um, given his contract situation, I, I don't see where the value is in, in necessarily selling them at the moment. So um, we'll wait and see how the window develops. But I think for me, the best option for all parties would be a, would be a season at League One. Um, and if Diamond can prove himself, then that would then that would then suit everyone moving forward. Joe, what are your thoughts on on the transfer window going forward? Yeah, I think as well, Neil's pointed out, as he definitely needs four or five more. I think definitely need another left back and um, wants another striker. Centre midfield's an interesting one because Sunderland seem quite well stocked there in terms of kind of bodies with kind of Evans, Neil, O'Neill, um, Winchester can even play in there, Matete. Um, but as we've said before, I think they are a little bit light in kind of that number six player, the player that can just play in front of the um, of the defence. If anything does happen to Corey Evans, they are short in there. And that's the area, I think, where Coventry looked ahead of them on uh, on Sunday. If they can just get someone who's a bit more physical, who can kind of take care of the ball a little bit better, um, I think that would be a big help in the Championship. So I think centre midfield is, is, again, another area where I think after watching the game on Sunday, um, they could strengthen as well. And then, as we saw, maybe an attacking midfield as well. We know that they went for Jack Rathoni earlier in the summer, didn't get him, and he went to Huddersfield. It shows that they are looking in that area of the pitch and then obviously the goalkeeper as well. So still a lot of work to do, but I think um, keeping the core of the squad together from last season has been key, kind of keeping that kind of a little bit of momentum going. You've got a good blend of youth and experience there, but clearly they need more depth um, and a bit more quality as well to kind of be sustaining, be, be competitive over a sustained period of time because it is a long season. Indeed, Sunderland next in action against Bristol City at Ashton Gate on Saturday. Phil, what are your thoughts on this game? Presents an interesting opportunity to Alex Side. First away match of the season. Obviously, Bristol City in the past two seasons have finished 19th and 17th. Um, a bit of a, a drop-off for them since finishing 8th and 12th in the 2018-19 and 2019-20 seasons. Uh, you feel it's a winnable fixture for Sunderland, but that's not to disrespect Bristol City, who've been at this level for a considerable amount of time now, since the 2015-16 season. So Sunderland have to respect them, of course. Yeah, absolutely. It's another really good marker. Um, you know, it'll be a really good home crowd for Bristol City as well, which will have an impact. So it's going to be a big test. And, you know, I watched the highlights of the game against Hull and I wouldn't read much into them losing the game. They had an absolutely winning 1-0, had an absolutely abysmal penalty decision go against them. And then a 25-yard effort that's taken a deflection in the 93rd minute and wrong-footed the goalkeeper. So I don't think there was necessarily a huge amount wrong with their performance. You know, Andy Vyman, 20-odd goals last season on the score sheet last week. Um, so I think, you know, I, I, I'd put them in a similar bracket to Coventry. I think you're definitely right. It's an opportunity for Sunderland. Um, they're clearly not as strong as they were the last time Sunderland were at this level. Um, but they're definitely a, a side with a lot of, with a lot of talent as well. But again, it's just going to be a really good marker. It's going to be a different kind of challenge in terms of going away from home. I think again, as there was on Sunday, it'll be a lot of time off the ball. Um, Sunderland's concentration is going to be going to be really key. So it's a game. I, it's a game I'm really looking forward to. I just see it as a 
another opportunity to sort of get a marker as to as to where the Sunderland side actually are at this level. Bristol City manager Nigel Pearson as well, Joe. We know he's a, a shrewd op- operator and Sunderland could potentially come up against former loan forward Antoine Semenyo, who's actually done very well since returning to Bristol City. He was on loan at Sunderland a couple of seasons ago, but didn't really manage to make too much of an impact. It's a, it's a, a very interesting fixture. I'm not sure. I think Semenyo is injured, isn't he? He didn't play on Saturday. Um, so, yeah, I don't think he'll be in the, in the team there. They, they went with Chris Martin and, and Andy Vyman up front. Um, but a lot of young players in their team, as I mentioned before, play with a back three and wing backs. So, interesting again to see how Alex Neal sets up. I think he'd, he'd probably stick with that system after going with that against Coventry. But you never know with Alex Neal. Um, he can spring a few uh, surprises. But, yeah, another established championship team. Um, and, yeah, it'll be another, another tough test for Sunderland. Going away from home as well, will that have kind of an impact? On, on the game. Um, so, yeah, no, no, another difficult test, um, but one that, uh, yeah, someone will have to try and come through. Yes, just reading now on our sister side, Bristol World, that Thomas Callas and Antoine Semenyo should miss the game against Sunderland. Um, Nigel Pearson said that neither are close to a return, so that's um, that's another mistake from me on this podcast of which there are many but um yeah thank you for listening to the raw podcast once again you can follow all the build-up to the bristol city game on saturday plus all the latest transfer news and alex neil's press conference just head over to our our website at www.sunderlandecho.com and yeah once again thank you for listening